Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. The crowds asked John the Baptist, What should we do? He said to them in reply, Whoever has two cloaks should share with the person who has none, and whoever has food should do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what should we do? And he answered them, Stop collecting more than what is prescribed. And he said to the teacher, and the soldiers asked him, What is it that we should do? And he told them, Do not practice extortion. Do not falsely accuse anyone. And be satisfied with your wages. Now the people were filled with expectation and all were asking in their hearts whether John might be the Christ. And John answered them all saying, I am baptizing you with water, but one mightier than I is coming and I am not worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand to clear the distressing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire, exhorting them in many other ways, he preached good news to the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. There are certain professions and ways of life that require people to wear a distinct form of garment so that people can know them and perhaps feel secure about their presence. A physician, for instance, in his office or her office, a nurse, a policeman, There are others, too. The uniform designates a function or the profession itself. And we know that person by the uniform, and we seem to trust them by the uniform. We know where we should go when we need whatever it is they have to offer, health or protection. Clergy, too. 
John the Baptist, as we saw last week, is a strange man who's come with a unique purpose. He's dressed strangely, as we know. Camel's hair, a leather belt. In our world, we would probably marginalize him, give him a wide berth, even have him removed from society as a danger. But in his world, he was like a clap of thunder. He was the one they were waiting for, and they knew it. Israel hadn't had a prophet in 400 years. There was no one to make known the will of God, no one to make known the coming of the Messiah, if he would ever come. They wanted a prophet. And when John appeared, looking like Elijah, dressed like Elijah, they knew it was time, because he was also speaking as Elijah. This was the one. And so people come out and start asking him what to do. Makes sense. Rather unusual people, too, not just the crowd, but tax collectors. They want to know what to do. His call for conversion was effective, as we heard last week. Remember that? Conversion leads to love. Conversion leads to prayer. Without conversion, there are neither. And so they come to him and ask what to do. And even soldiers want to know what they ought to do. So they come to ask him. You and I, then, have a relationship to this gospel. I mentioned last week that John the Baptist was a priest. The priesthood was hereditary. His father, Zechariah, was a priest. And remember, again, it was while he was in the temple that the archangel Gabriel appeared to him to announce the birth of John. But John, as far as we know, as I said, never offered a sacrifice because his job was to point out the Lamb of God when he came. The Lamb. That was what the the role of priesthood would be for him, to point out the Lamb of God, the sacrifice, the last priest, and the first priest, and the final sacrifice. That's his job. We can see a lot more in him, though. To begin with, he had no problem confronting evil when he saw it, did he? Whether it was Herod and Herod's marriage, whether it was the scribes and the Pharisees, whom he would accuse of being uh, vipers, you pit of vipers, for their hypocrisy, or whether it's just the common, ordinary person for uh, their rejection of the covenant and their own sins. He would point out the evil. Now, you and I are called to do that in our own way, but not with the same drama as John the Baptist, because we don't have the same position. We should point out evil when we see it, but more more often than not, we have to do it in a more, uh, in, in a somewhat different way, because we aren't called to that sort of reaction, since people won't listen to us if we do anyway. Um, but we have to point out evil in our midst. We're afraid to do that. We've been made afraid to do that for fear of being hypocritical or judgmental or whatever that word means or who knows what else. We're afraid to point out evil, but he wasn't because he knew it. Unless he did, 
the people coming would not be prepared to meet the one who was coming, the anointed one, the Christ. Secondly, he didn't just point out evil, he called them to good. He called them to greatness. He was calling them to something else. See, it's one thing to say, that's evil. It's another thing to say, come into what you were meant to be. Become what I created you to be, which is what John's doing. So that when we give up evil, when we give up sin, we're not giving up something to walk into a world of emptiness. We've given up something to walk into his world, to walk into him. That was what he did. Called them to what they were meant to be all along. But thirdly, he was from God. He didn't bring his own message. We have a world full of messages, don't we? Everybody has a message. But he didn't have his own message. Uh, he, he had the word of God, which he learned only in the desert. I'm going to come back to that over and over again, as I did last week. Only in the desert did he learn the message, as we will only learn the message in the desert too, wherever that desert in our life is. Uh, but he had to spend that time there in order to be formed into the prophet he was meant to be. You don't just get up one day and all of a sudden you become a prophet. You become a prophet because you have emptied yourself in the presence of God and God has filled you with himself. Which is, again, why we have to find some place in our lives, I've said this at least three or four times, where we can be in the desert with God on a daily basis. Where we can learn uh, what God is saying to us. I think many people today are afraid of that. There are people today who live with constant noise from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed. And they're actually a little afraid of a world in which there is silence. I remember once being in a place, in a chapel in the, in the woods, and um, far away from any sound at all. And a couple came in, and the wife said to the husband, did you notice the silence? It's a strange silence, isn't it? The husband said, yeah, it's a little spooky. Uh, there was nothing around. There were no artificial sounds at all. And they didn't know what to do with that. Uh, but they noticed it. They were aware of it. But there were other people who would come to that place for exactly that reason. They wanted to be, in a sense, deafened by the silence of that particular uh, building. Uh, and we need that as well in our lives. But there was something else about John, too. The people were filled with expectation. All of them were asking in their hearts whether John might be the Christ. As St. Augustine said, nothing could have been easier for him to say, yes, I am. They all thought that he was. If he had said that he was, they would have accepted it. They would have believed him. Uh, But John knows what his mission is from all eternity. He's been chosen for this mission. And so he answers them. He's saying, no, 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 I'm not. I'm not the one you're looking for. But one mightier than I is coming. Not only is he mightier, but notice how he describes him. I am not worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals. I'm not worthy to be his slave, is what he's saying. Uh, He knows he's pointing towards something else. Uh, I think today in our world that we very easily can keep our eyes focused on the earth. We never look up at all. We're always focusing on some element of material reality, and we never seem to look up from it. The whole world is supposed to point to something else. John the Baptist is a dramatic example of it. The whole world is meant to point to something else. Everywhere we look, every element of nature is pointing towards something other than itself. 
if we could only see it. Here again, we come back to that hope. I'm not going to go through the poem again. You know, I see his blood upon the rose. And in the stars, the glory of his eyes, and so on and so on. Uh, you know, his crown of thorns entwines with every thorn. His, cro- his cross is every tree. Everything points to him. And we have to do it too. Our whole lives are oriented towards him. If we cease to think about that, then our lives become unbalanced, disoriented, and we begin to wander off and following all kinds of different drummers who don't deserve to be followed at all. So there we are, and then he warns them about judgment, the judgment that will come. Well, you and I have come because the Lamb of God has been pointed out to us. And I will say those words again, over and over again, that John the Baptist said. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. We will profess our unworthiness. And yet, we will trust in God's power to transform us and give us the merit to receive it. Uh, That's a wonderful thing. The Eucharist now for us is this great changer. So now you and I have the capacity, in fact, a greater capacity than John the Baptist to transform the world in which we live. If only we will have the courage. If only we will have the courage. We have the grace. The Messiah has come. The anointed one is with us, the Son of God. I said this once before. I'll say it again. You know, it was Dr. Johnson, I believe, who said, without moral courage, no virtue can exist except by accident. Without courage. John had the courage. He died for it. And you and I are called to do likewise.